0: It felt like something hit me in my gut. It went right in the pit of my stomach. And I was like, no, 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 no. No, is she going to start to want to conform, start to shut her own shine because she needs to be accommodated by others? Can she find her own voice and not let it be put down and pushed down her throat, you know? So after that happened, the biggest search went on and I was like, okay, great. I need to start looking for an alternative to this. I need to find a way to make her learning education. I need to find a way to make it work for her. So I started doing a bit of research. You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. Fire.
1: This is the story of Teboho. Teboho is a wonderful, fired-up, liberation-minded woman and mother who I had the pleasure of hanging out with a few different times during my family's last trip to South Africa. I am so glad that Teboho is willing to share her story with us. I am so deeply inspired by the work that Teboho is doing personally in the life of her own spiritual self and her daughter, and also personally, again, in terms of her community in Soweto, and is determined to help her community of Soweto-based people who understand That education needs to look way different than it's been looking for their country and their children, but also have questions about the feasibility of what an unschooling life can look like, which is beautiful because then they get to design that to understand that together instead of mimicking ideas of what unschooling is supposed to mean and then having the angst of realizing how it doesn't fit into what they specifically need. Because unschooling is about life design, organizing your life, decolonizing your thoughts, and liberating your children so that you can also liberate yourself. So enjoy Taboho's story and then share. Thank you, Taboho. I appreciate your willingness to share with us. The show notes page for today's episode is RaisingFreePeople.com forward slash
0: 119. My name is Debocho Mudisani. I am a Soweto, born and bred in Soweto, was born in Baragwanath Hospital, grew up in Soweto and have lived here all my life. And some of the things I'm most interested in as a person, I do a lot of exercise, a lot of walking, mainly a a lot of walking around, especially when I need to be clearing my head. And because I'm a Sowetan and live here, I find it quite, it gives me perspective every now and then to walk the streets and to kind of stay in touch, if I can call it that, with what the pulse of the street is. And a lot of times i would be walking around because I'm also, I've done a lot of freelance work in the past 10 years or so. I'm afforded time to walk around during the day while I'm in between projects. And walking around, I'm astonished about school. (laughs) I find myself very intrigued, especially when I see six, seven, eight-year-old kids wearing school uniform and going to school firstly it just looks like that dress doesn't look like it works or those shorts don't look like they work on you so i find myself very intrigued about the idea of kids having to wear uniform to school at that young age how early on on the training so so begins into the conditionings and because i have a nine-year-old daughter who has also gone through the process of school. I think I took it differently with her because I thought, oh, well, her school uniform is more casual looking. So it's not that bad. But in the past years, like the past two years, three years, I've been asking myself questions. Is it really not that bad? Because here I am, a mother of this bubbling nine-year-old now, and having to work in a structure and work in a way where we're waking up earlier than what felt like it was natural. would wake up in the winter and it's still dark and I'd get her ready and I would see how much stressful it was for her to get up. And then the stress then coming on to me because then she doesn't want to get up and I'm getting frustrated and my day's starting all funny. And for the last couple of years, I started wondering and asking myself, is it necessary to go through this? Is it really necessary? And I think after the incidents with the school in 2018, I just decided, you know what? Actually, it's worth taking her out of school. So referring to the incidents in school last year, I suppose the straw that broke the camel's back is when... So she had been academically, my nine-year-old little has academically been doing pretty okay, not drastically failing, but, you know, kind of getting those stars because I suppose everything is easy and it's explainable. And she was always been called to school to say, this girl is very talkative. She's self-destructive in class. You know, she distracts the other kids. But she was always passing and I never really worried. So because of the amount of times that I was called into school, there was a reprimand that was given her. And she actually did not like what it meant because obviously she would get home and then we'd have this long conversation, which was more be conversating to her downwards and just saying why are you doing this why can't you just keep quiet in class and all of that and her looking up at me with those big eyes puppy eyes at it and saying sorry mommy I don't know why I'm like this and for years that was our conversations like yeah well you gotta toughen up try harder be more accommodative and because she was starting now to get reprimand more often, she realized that she did not like getting into that trouble. So she's going to start acting how it is expected of her. So she starts acting like it is expected and her marks deteriorate. I mean, they plummet. And now I'm thinking, okay, something is wrong. the start of the new term, we have these parent-teacher conferences where we discuss the child's progress and all of that. And I was asking the teacher, I was like, I don't understand. Her mathematics has gone down from being a 80s, 90s to a 20-something. There's a huge discrepancy in this. What is happening? And we kind of speak with the teacher and she says, look, I can see you are doing work with her at home. So her marks are starting to come up now, but we still got a lot of work that we need to do ahead of us. So then turn around and ask her, how has she been behaving in class? She says, oh, well, you know, she's a lot better these days, um, less talkative, less destructive in class. I mean, just the other day she came up to me and she said, ma'am, am I behaving now? Are you happy with me? So that statement that the teacher was sending to me as we're making good progress with the growth of how she should perform, how she should behave, how she should fit in. What she thought was an upstatement and a positive, for me was, it actually, it shook me. It it felt like something hit me in my gut. It went right in the pit of my stomach. And I was like, no, 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 no. no. is she going to... Start to want to conform, start to shut her own shine because she needs to be accommodated by others. Can she find her own voice and not let it be put down and pushed down her throat? So after that happened, the biggest search went on and I was like, okay, great. I really need to start looking for alternatives. I need to start looking for an alternative to this. I need to find a way to make Her learning, education, I need to find a way to make it work for her. So I started doing a bit of research. It was a thought that I'd had at the back of my mind, but never did I actively pursue the research behind homeschooling. And so I went off. I started searching the net, looking through the homeschooling landscape in South Africa, reading up on different pages and experiences, and then the more I read onto alternative forms of education, the more I was gradually directed and attracted very much to self-directed education. Because I was also looking at homeschooling and I was thinking these curriculums, this is exactly the same things that are being taught at school that I'm not sure how beneficial they are going to be for how Lero is learning now, because we'd have, when we were still doing homeworks back then, we would have calculations to do, and she would sit with a calculator, okay? So we would do the long form or whatever method was supposed to be applied for that equation. And she would look at the steps and she'd go, yes, 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 yet," and not like she completely got everything. And she would almost do the sums herself right next to what I did. And I'd be like convinced. I'm like, yes, you've got it. Now do the rest on your own. Miss Madam would then take out a calculator and confirm that her answer is right or or just get to the bottom of the answer without working it out. And so when that happened and I'm looking through these curriculums and I'm like, it's pretty much the same thing. It's pretty much still using formulas or ways of learning that I am now seriously starting to question because there I was thinking, I did all of these subjects in high school and I don't know if I did things that actually, I know I did things that did not make me who I am or brought me to where I am right now. So The more I started looking into this, the more I was attracted to self-directed education. And the more I was looking into this, the more I was finding like-minded people. And it felt like a homecoming. It felt like, oh, so the thoughts that I'm having actually have a name to them. It's not just a hypothesis in my head or a what if or imagine, but it actually exists. And there are people out there that are doing it. So there I go into looking into self-directed education in the South African space. I then meet amazing, incredible people that just felt like yes, this is what I need. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. And I met Zakia. Zakia just opened her arms and she welcomed me and she was just like, "I'll hold your hand. What is it that you want to know or whatever?" Just realize that you're going on a new journey. you're actually walking into a journey that is uncertain, and I kept thinking, "Yeah, but that's what life is like. I'm this grown up, I have lots of uncertainty. She's like yes, and there'll be moments when you're having paranoia that oh my gosh, am I doing this And I actually recognized that there is a term for the periodic panic disorder, and I was like. Okay. It felt comforting. So Zakia was then hosting a conference and at that stage, I'm like, okay, I'm unschooling my thinking. I'm like, Oh snap. Are you saying I can have these crazy thoughts in my head and that it's actually, it's okay to have them? These are, these are the kind of thoughts that are normal. These are the kind of thoughts that if you recognize them in your own child, it's okay to allow them to happen because these are the natural kind of thoughts that happen inside of you. So if I'm able to unschool, imagine what, what our relationship would be like. And I had no idea how frustrating it would be at the worst of times and how absolutely rewarding it would be at the best of times. So as. Zakia is hosting this conference and I'm in this unschooling journey in my own. I'm completely also working differently. I'm starting to think even the work ethic that I have, the sentiments I have about how a job should be, maybe they're not that bizarre. Maybe I can go ahead and explore them. So in me exploring these other thoughts of workspaces, I am very strapped for cash so i'm like there has to be a resourceful way i want to attend this conference i've been following some of the posts and videos and that zakia had been doing and i would love to attend some of these conferences i called up zakia and i said listen i want to come to the conference i have been doing a lot of freelance event production work so i am very happy to pay a little bit towards the conference, and the difference I'm happy to give in uh, trade in talent, so to speak. She she took me up on that offer. She took me up. She said, absolutely, go ahead. I was over the moon because then it felt like I was actually going to have a lot of clarity coming from the conference I had seen some of the videos that it was, I think, a video conference between Zakia and Akila, as well as I forget the gentleman's name now; it escapes me. And I was very intrigued to see this. It was especially intriguing for me to see it uh, black people relating to unschooling because it felt like, yes, okay, I'm not that crazy, you know, okay, it's cool. You're not the only ones I had. And going to the conference and meeting Akila and meeting Akila's family was just the stamp, was just that confirmation and the stamp. And it said, okay. I mean, that confirmation happened within the first hour of the conference that I knew I was on a journey that felt right within my space. It felt, it resonated with my energies. And I was like, I did not need any further confirmations. I was happy to go down the journey. Did I come out of that conference with all of my questions answered? No, I left with more questions than before. But what it did leave me with is that certainty and that knowledge that, yes, I have lots more questions than before. But I'm very happy to be walking on that journey because so much more about it resonates and feels stronger and better than the questions that I have. Some of the frustrations that I find with the journey that I'm currently on is that I'm still expected to teach Liruo. We have outings, we have things that she may or may not want to do on the day. Because I live with my mom and my daughter, who has been schooled all her life, when we are having those down moments or those feel like they're too many days of doing nothing for them, then it would be applying pressure, Liruo needing to study, Liruo needing to read to stay at par with her peers so that she doesn't, quote unquote, become stupid. So I also find I have to stop myself from trying to force her to pick up a book, you know, to say, oh, but you liked this one. You said we must pick it, at least read a page. Doing my bits to also try and not interfere. And sometimes I'm not very good at that. I catch myself doing things that I'm like oh, right now I'm being pushy or she doesn't really want to read. or So it's also learning to completely trust her with her own pace and way of doing things and to also not be extremely frustrated by the well wishes from the family around to say, take it upon you, You always keep reading because there's always information. And I appreciate, especially where it comes from, from my mother's side, you know, having grown up in apartheid, South Africa, and how education is the thing that is needed to make you a different person. It's the definition, rather, of what and how that education is delivered that we are sometimes fight on. It's also interesting to be at this point because in the beginning of the year, there is a group of self-directed mothers. uh, Zakiya assisted me in finding so that should I be having these moments of frustrations and panics then at least there's closer reference to somebody to just kind of say, hey, are you around? Can I come for a cup of tea with the kids? Or just, can we just meet at the park so I can vent to you? And because some of the ladies have been on the journey longer than I am, maybe they could be of assistance. And, you know, it started all good and well, but I'm finding it particularly interesting that, the same ladies that have existed or the same families rather that have existed are inaccessible, so to speak. So I'm trying to figure out if, is it because of that they're comfortable being a private within their own spaces or is it because it is better for them to keep as low a profile as possible so it just keeps them away from being any center of attention or getting any attraction. So it's been an interesting journey so far. And I am looking at ways of growing and also finding a little bit more security, if I can call it that. So it keeps parents that are in in a space like ours kind of protected. We are starting to have conversations around unschooling in Soweto. We had Akila and Akila's family come to Soweto to have a conversation and to speak to us. Firstly, people are able to see the face of unschooling. Okay. And having seen the face of unschooling to get a sense of what it happens to look like to a, say, 14 year old Mali who is a brilliant, amazingly headstrong human being with a lot of heart and compassion who has been unschooled but is really and honestly one of the most educated 14-year-olds I have ever met. Oh, so having had Akila come over with her family, seeing the face of what it means to what I love to call now dare to. What that face looks like is leading us to a journey of opening up spaces and conversations and to open up the possibility of actually being relevant enough to be considered as an alternative form of self-expression when it comes to educating the world to our children. So looking now at the way life has is starting to play itself out, life is starting to open up for us, it's very interesting to find oneself in a position where realistically there is no funds really coming through to sustain everyday life. There aren't any funds coming through particularly because I am very, very picky about the jobs that I'm picking up I have my own mental checklist that I go through. Is it going to drain my spirit? No. Okay. Is it going to go against the way I see work, how it should flow? Uh No. Is the people that or are the people that I'm going to be potentially working with open-minded enough to understand that there are days when I just won't be at the office or wherever, but it doesn't mean that I'm not being productive and there are days when I will completely be in and around my child and won't be able to be turning around and responding to them quickly. So going through those checklists, a lot of them are coming up with not working out favorably. And it's such a weird position to be at because I'm at that point where one is asking themselves what is more important at which cost is one trying to make money. And I'm finding that I would rather really stick it out a little bit more because I know at the end of the day, a solution that is playing around in my mind is going to come to fruition. And because we're living in this community, gladly it's not just happening in my mind, it's happening in other people's minds that we are encountering and working with or walking this journey with, rather. And while we're doing this, we haven't quite given it a name or it hasn't completely taken a full picture, but the skeleton is kind of there. We realize that we need to create a space that will afford uh, like-minded families to be able to bring the kids into the center, which is... um understanding of what it is that the end game it is they're trying to get for their kids, understanding what the family's belief system is and understanding that we are all aligned and working a certain direction. So the talks are there in our communities and bubbling under. I mean, a few weeks ago we had an unschooling mathematics session where one of the gentlemen in the circle just said, "Ladies, uh, families, anybody who's interested, let I've got a very good understanding of mathematics, and in the understanding I've gathered, I apply it in my unschooling life, and I'd like to open up and go through what my learnings are and share them with you and see if you know they could be applicable within your everyday life, so one is then able to make sense of mathematical." problems to an interested nine-year-old who may not be able to wrap their heads around a certain problem or a question that they may have on a mathematical formula, which does not necessarily need to appear as mainstream kind of mathematics. While we were having this conference, it was the most interesting thing, the, the mathematics session. While we were having the session, it was the most beautiful thing that had happened. We spend about 75% of the time talking about our journey, our unschooling journey, uh, mental understanding of how we have been de-associated or compartment, put things into compartments in how we think, oh, no, this is a mathematics problem and it's not a life problem or this is a science problem and it's not a life problem, when we actually got to a point of unpacking it to say, actually, all of them are life scenarios that show up in different subjects. And after having more of these conversations, we were morphing the conversation towards, why are we not having our own centers? Why are we not having our own centers and spaces where we can deliver things the way we best see them do. And the movement is there. We do need to create this institution, this foundation, this center where the kids can be themselves. They are open to explore whatever, and particularly looking at having such a center in Soweto. The landscape of South Africa is an interesting one between the previously white, white only areas to the exclusively black areas. A lot of top notch facilities were obviously reserved for the white areas. And leaving the township, especially so, to all the townships in South Africa, to kind of being left behind and not catching up to whatever the technologies, whatever the facilities that exist in the white, richer areas. So now we are in a democratic South Africa, and we are twenty-five years into this democracy. We still actually are facing challenges where a lot of the more up more fancier, more technology-advanced kind of facilities and programs are still mainly reserved for more affluent areas. And those are still a fairly wide or rather decent pockets, so to speak, in terms of being able to afford things. We need to, and the beauty of the like-minded people that are coming into our spaces is that we all agree that it is a different time, it is a different moment, and it's a definitely something that calls for us as the community to get together and make it happen for ourselves. You know, screaming and shouting at the top of our lungs is not going to be the only solution that gets if it is even a solution that gets the attention of the powers that be to kind of open up spaces and allow for more free exploring educational facilities. So the idea of having a center like that in Soweto, it is beyond necessary. It is past having to make it happen. Our children from Soweto would have to still, we traveling to go to work is something that has been programmed in our parents. So, I mean, we're looking at families that commute four in the morning, somebody may be leaving home to come back at eight in the evening. And slowly, slowly, the children are getting conditioned into that thinking because at Five in the morning, transport would need to pick up a child, and then they only come back home after five in the afternoon, spending most of the day at school, not enough time to play, tired, hungry, and the conditioning is starting. So the need for us to open up centres of this nature are necessary in the townships, because then we're starting to create a different way of thinking. And as a community, we actually realize that we have to be getting together and holding hands and making it happen. The challenge comes when we need to actually also execute because the reality is that in as much as we need all of these centers or we need to start being proactive in how we are seeing ourselves, how we are seeing to be communicating and educating our kids, we still need to put food on the table. We still need to literally keep the lights on. So the wheels will turn, but they're moving at an extremely slow pace. And we are needing to find very creative ways to collaborate with each other, to raise these funds so that we can support one another, so that we can find solutions where parents that need to go and keep the lights on have a place where they are 100% comfortable knowing that they're leaving their children in that space and then coming back and maybe also being able to support the institution and keeping it running. So, yeah, we're getting together. We're finding creative ways to make it happen. And obviously, the bigger the network would grow, the bigger the thinking would be, and the more creative solutions we can find that are not just about getting the funds through, but a holistic way of finding solutions that speak to the different touch points of what the challenges are that we're experiencing.
1: Be sure to visit the show notes page for today's episode, RaisingFreePeople.com forward slash 119. Shout out to our newest patron, Keisha. Keisha, thank you so much for joining our Patreon community. I will put the link to this article, but I did want to read you a little bit of it, and it is an overview of Soweto. Thank you, Taboho, for sending this to us. Early Development of Soweto. The establishment of Soweto is, like Johannesburg, linked directly to the discovery of gold in 1885. Thousands of people from around the world and South Africa flocked to the new town to see their fortunes or to offer their labor. Within four years, Johannesburg was the second largest city. More than half the population was Black, most living in multiracial shanty towns near the gold mines in the center of the town. As the gold mining industry developed, so did the need for labor increase. Migrant labor was started, and most of these workers lived in mine compounds. However, other workers had to find their own accommodations, often in appalling conditions. The first residents of what is now known as Soweto were located in this area called Clipsbridge In 1905, following their relocation from Coolitown in the center of Johannesburg as a result of an outbreak of bubonic plague. The Johannesburg City Council took the opportunity to establish racially segregated residential areas. Some residents were to be relocated to Alexandra Township, near the present-day Santon. This group comprised Black, Indian, and colored families, and they received freehold title to this land. This was subsequently reversed by the apartheid government. Only Black families were located in Clipsbrewitt, and the housing was on a rental basis. Clipsbrewitt was subsequently renamed Pymville. During the 1930s, the demand for housing for the large number of Black people who had moved to Johannesburg grew to such an extent that new housing was built in an area known as Orlando, named after the first administrator, Edwin Orlando Leakey. In the 1940s, a controversial character named James Impanza led the first land invasion and some 20,000 squatters occupied land near Orlando. James Impanza is known as the father of Soweto. In 1959, the residents of Sophia Town were forcibly removed to Soweto and occupied the area known as Meadowlands. Sir Ernest Oppenheimer, the first chairman of the Anglo-American Corporation, was appalled by the housing shortage and was instrumental in arranging a loan for the construction of additional housing, and this is commemorated by the Oppenheimer Tower in Jabulani. Current status of Soweto Soweto falls within the municipality of the Johannesburg Metro Council in the province of Huateng, which approximately means place of gold. The original rental houses have now been sold to the tenants, who received a subsidy from the government to cover the cost of the houses. Private sector housing was developed from the 1980s, funded by various banks. Freehold title is available to the properties. And as for the origins of the name, Soweto obtained its name from the first two letters of Southwestern Township, which was the original description of the area. Soweto is a symbol of the new South Africa caught between old squatter misery and new prosperity, squalor and an upbeat lifestyle. It's a vibrant city which still openly bears the scars of the apartheid past and yet shows what's possible in the new South Africa. I will send the link to this piece and I encourage you to share this episode to do your own research about Soweto to consider connecting with Teboho about ways that you can contribute in some way, whether it's knowledge, information, dollars, to the work that Soweto people are doing to raise free people, including themselves. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit us over on patreon.com forward slash Akila. Much love.